We're turning in the Word of God again tonight to the book of Matthew, the chapter 6. Yes, we are still here, and we're reading from verse 5 tonight. Matthew chapter 6, and the verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. We know the Lord Himself will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word. We're looking at verse 10 tonight, the second part of verse 10, or the second sentence, effectively. Thy kingdom come initially, and then what we're considering tonight, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let's briefly pray again, please. Heavenly Father, as we come into another petition in this prayer that thou wast given into our hands as a template, we pray that thou wilt help us to go down the right good guidance in our thoughts, and not just may it stay in our mind, but may it work down into our heart, may it work out into our lives so that thy will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in our Savior's name and for our undoubted good. Amen. Cecil Rhodes, who was a former South African statesman, wrote, If there is 
a gold. And he cares for mail. Then the most important thing in the world is to find out what he wants me to do and to do it. A good woman, while she was ill, she was asked whether she was willing to live or die, and she answered simply, whichever God pleases. But, and somebody said who was standing beside her, if God should refer it to you, what would you choose? Oh, she said, definitely. If God should refer it to me, I would refer it back to him again. Now, those kind of statements are in short supply, or shorter supply today. It seems as we look around us, uh, we're asking the question, who is serious about doing the will of God? Because a lot of people aren't even thinking about what God might have as a plan for them and a purpose for them as they go about their daily lives. And some have gone so far as to consider this whole issue of doing the will of God as something that's cumbersome and irksome and something that's really next door to a total irrelevance. And why would anybody in this 21st century ever think about, should I consult with God to find out what He wants for me? Just do it. Go with the flow. See what happens. Take your chances. Go for the big picture. All of that. But communicate with God about His will for my life. I don't think so, is what many are saying. Now, our text tonight flags up the sin in that kind of notion, and it shows exactly how we should treat the will of God in our lives. In other words, our Savior is saying, make it a matter of earnest prayer, and make sure in your life it's one of the first issues that you pray about every single day that you live. Matthew 6 and 10, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So we come to the third petition in what we recognize as the Lord's Prayer. And of course, it is closely linked to the one that appears prior to it in the same verse in Matthew 6 and 10. The third petition linked inexorably to the second one. And so we are taught here to pray in the second petition, Thy kingdom come. But the connection is this. We may be sure that kingdom will come when there is a willingness in God's people to seek out His will, that it might be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And when we find God's will from heaven being translated onto the earth, done here, then we will know God's kingdom will assuredly come and is being built. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. First major point that we're calling in at tonight is the implication in this petition. The implication in this petition, because there is a clear inference arising out of the words that we have, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and the inference implication is this, that the will of God is not always being done on earth at this present time, not when our Savior said it, and certainly not today either. Therefore, we need to pray. It's not a redundant phrase or two that we have here. This is a necessary prayer. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Man, look around the globe today. We see all the trouble spots. And we know there God's will is not being done as it should be done. 
And we read about it. We see in the television the slaughter and the famines and the danger and the terrorism and the warfare and all the problems of this world. And people are saying in their ignorance. And it popped up to me in a home the other day where they were saying there's been a discussion within the family and we're talking about the things of God. But here's something that's always been thrown up. Why does God allow what is happening in the world today? The old chestnut. Why does God allow it? Well, the question isn't so much as why does God allow it as it is, why does man do it? It's not God who's visiting all of the chaos upon the human race. It's man against man that is doing it. So instead of looking to blame God, let's put the blame where it belongs. Why does man do it? Because man is responsible for the evil, not God. And he does it, why? Because he sets himself up as a rebel against the will of God. He does not want to do God's will as it's done in heaven here upon the earth. Therefore, the confusion and chaos and callousness. We have a distinction often made between kings du jour kings by legal right, that is, and kings de facto, that is, kings that are in actual possession of the reins of power, who are exercising royal power over some kind of a kingdom. God, if we can say this with reverence, is the world's king du jour. He's the lawful sovereign. He is the rightful Lord of the universe. And so we read in Psalm 24 and verse 1, these words, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. There is nothing that does not belong to Him. There is nothing over which He is not the rightful King. But look around you, and we don't see Him exercising His right over all men in a way that men are shrugging off His rulership, denying His kingship. We will not have this man to reign over us, not king de facto. His kingship is not visible in all places. The people of this world, they don't obey Him as a general rule. And so we have large sections of the world, whole departments of humanity, and His rule is not recognized, and men refuse to bow before His scepter. It has been said, going back a number of years now, but very relevant even today, Ireland is part of the Queen's dominions. But there have been times when the Queen could scarcely be said to reign in Ireland. At the time when the Irish troubles were at their height, it was a common saying that in certain districts of Ireland, it was not the Queen who ruled, but the Land League. Well, we've come up through politics, and really we haven't moved too far today from that kind of scenario at all. Is it really any different? The country is financed by the United Kingdom, but it's claimed, oh, they say it's not in our constitution anymore. They still want to have their hands on our country. And so we've got the recent talk about, oh, we can't presume to direct rule. It'll have to be joint authority in some kind of a model over that line. And Republicans, we know, they have been for all of their days 
quite prepared to take all the monetary assistance they can out of the deep pockets of the UK and have as many Queen's heads in their pocket as they possibly can put in there, but not have her flag on the flagpole. Rather run up the foreign flag. We are operating under a different jurisdiction. We are rebels, and this is our cause, they will say. Nothing will change now that Charles is on the throne, of course. Our Lord is King of this world. Nobody out there has a shred of a title or a claim to a square inch of this territory. Nobody can put him off his throne. The kingdom is the Lord, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight, and he is the governor among the nations. And so while he is the king by right, King de jour, they might say, well, we're not going to bow to him, king de facto. But the fact is, ultimately they shall, everybody shall before him, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until that day comes, we've got a situation like Psalm 2 that is existing around us. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, and they're having their COP27 conferences, which is a lot of absolute ballyhoo. There's no doubt it's nothing other than that, but they can have it. And they can go every which direction trying to save the planet, while in other ways they're absolutely destroying it. There are better ways than their ways, and they know it, but they don't want to take them. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Where do we see that? In countless places we see this kind of behavior going on. How wicked! Is the rebellious heart of man. Nature, all of nature, is at the dictates of God. It obeys His voice. It is in His hands. And yet we have man in his folly rising up there, shaking his puny fist at the Almighty. The wind is His messenger. The thunder is His voice. The lightning is His sword. And yet foolish man imagines he can defy the God in control of all of this. And so he resists, and he opposes, and he does his level best to overthrow the will of God in defiance of Matthew 6 and verse 10. What was the first sin? The first sin was exactly on this ground. We're not going to do God's will on earth. We're going to do our own. Lust is not here by His will. Strife is not here by His will. Malice and envy are not here by His will. Bloodshed, murder, misery, poverty, shame, none of these things is present in the world today by the will of God, but as the direct result of the rebellion of man. They're here because man has set up his will in disobedience to the will of God. That's the fountain of the woe that we have in the world. Man has preferred his own will to God's will. While Adam was obedient to God in Eden, all was well. 
He was in paradise. Everything was perfect. God was saying it is good. It is very good. But when he chose evil, he plunged the whole race into chaos, brought them under condemnation, ruined all their faculties, the mind, the heart. The will of man is now corrupt, bent in only one direction. It's not free will. It's a Christ will. It's a broken will. And man's will today is only and always inclined towards evil. We have the old Puritan poet, preacher, John Milton, served under Oliver Cromwell in the Commonwealth, and he said, till disproportioned sin, jarred against nature's chime, and with harsh din broke the fair music. But all creatures made to their great God, whose love their motion swayed in perfect diapason, whilst they stood in first obedience and their state of good. And from that day of disobedience, the whole creation, Paul teaches it in Romans chapter 8, it has been groaning and travailing under the screen of man's rebellion against God. But one has said, and said quite profoundly, to discover the fountain of the disease is also to discover the secret of the remedy. To discover the fountain of the disease is also to discover the secret of the remedy. And the explanation is this. If the present misery of this world has come about from the fact that man has followed his own will, rejected the will of God, then it follows that the world will know the abundance of blessing and peace and joy when, when man submits his will to the will of God. That's why the prophet in Hosea, he is crying out to us, let us get back to the old allegiance. Come, let us return, is that clarion call from the prophet Hosea. Like Abner, who espoused the cause of Ishbosheth. Then he decided it's a wrong course of action. He's not the proper king at all. And he came in repentance to the feet of David, and he acknowledged, David, you were the rightful king, not Ishbosheth. Let this world get back to the banners of King Jesus in wholehearted submission to his word and to his will because continually rebelling against him deprives us of blessing. Consider Saul. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You know, this whole show that you're coming to mask everything else. Is that what he's looking for? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And he goes on to say, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He also hath rejected thee from being king. Peter and the apostles learned this lesson. And we find how they learned it in Acts 5 and verse 29, how well they learned it, because Peter and the other apostles, they answered, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
So the implication is the will of God is not always being done upon the earth. That's the first thing. Implication is petition. Instruction in this petition is the second. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so we're being taught here, it should be my and your supreme desire that God would have His way with us. That's the instruction in the petition. Now, there are people who have looked in over the wall on godly people, and they sneer and they mock and they say, prayer, prayer. I, do you know how they use prayer? Prayer to them, it's just a machine warranted by theologians to make God do whatever His clients want. Well, no, it isn't. It's very much not that. What we will sing, hopefully, at the end of our meeting, have thine own way, Lord. That's what it is. That's what real prayer is all about, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me, make me after thy will, while I am waiting yielded, and still have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, hold o'er my being, absolute sway, fill with thy spirit, till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Our daily cry should be, Lord, help me to do whatever thou dost want me to do, and to be whatever thou wouldest want me to be. We must accept God's plan, His purpose for our lives as being our own Lord. May I make thy will my will. Only when I get this to coalesce, then will I know blessing. It may be the will of God to send us to the things that we would naturally shrink from. I had no aspirations ever to be in a pulpit. Well, to be in an architect's office. That's what my whole life was shaping up for. But God's will was different. The disciples, they're coming here in Matthew 6, teach us to pray. Teach us, Lord. Well, I wonder, were they ready for what was going to happen after they prayed? You know, we long for success in life, do we not? But because some of the successes that could come our way might prove to be more a being and a blight than a blessing, we should learn to add this to our prayers. Nevertheless, despite what I'm praying for, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We would love to be free from bereavement and sorrow, not to have to add to our list, not to have to increase the incidence rate of funerals and suffering and sorrow. This world has enough of that, and sometimes our heart is completely overwhelmed. We're like David in Psalm 61 and 2 at the end of the earth, our heart breaking inside of us. But because this might end up in the truest, highest blessing, we must temper our pleas, Lord, stop this, with the cry, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We pray for peace in the world. We pray for comfort. We pray for quietness. But due to the fact conflict and struggle and being put into the crucible might be necessary to make me strong, I need to ask, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. The Congregationalist preacher J.D. Jones, he said, this is the only prayer for me, for you, for all men. 
We have not learned to pray truly at all until every petition in our prayers is made subject to this one, until it becomes our chief and supreme desire that God's will may be done. The question, is it hard to pray and hard to mean it? Hard to pray it sincerely? Thy will be done? Hard? Sometimes I can think of nothing harder. You can only learn to say, Thy will be done through struggle, through agony, through heartbreak. The Bible compares the agony that we have to pass through. Before we learn to pray the prayer sincerely, compares it to the agony inflicted by plucking out an eye, amputating a limb. And so, one says, obedience to God leads to the land of blessedness and peace, but the gate by which we enter, the gate of self-denial, is a narrow gate, and we have to agonize to enter in. Now, certainly God has a will for us, but equally certain is the fact that that will that He has for us is sometimes on a collision course with our own. There will be clashes where the desires of the flesh and of the mind are naturally earthly comfort, wealth, and ease. Lord, give me a smooth ride here. Let there be no bumps on the road at all. God's will for us is that whatever the price, whatever the pain, we should be upright and honest and pure. Plan is sent out in Philippians 4 and verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, and write down the detail there. First Thessalonians 4 and the verse 3 as well. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Hardly a day will pass, but there's going to be a violent conflict between the two because our flesh does not want to be sanctified or mortified or crucified or anything like that. And so Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I find another law in my members warring against. The law of my mind bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And so to surrender our own wills, to make God's will ours, involves pain and struggle and a dying to self and a mortification of our members and a crucifixion of our own desires. And that is difficult. Patient submission to the will of God is not easy. We need much grace to embrace it. Say a man, his business has collapsed, and all of those possessions that had maybe even unconsciously with him become almost the sum total of his living. And he finds they're taken away and he's thrown onto the lap of poverty. He needs grace to say, Thy will be done. The man whose body is racked by severe pain and he's lying helpless on the bed, can't do anything for himself, humiliated. Does he not need grace to say, Thy will be done? Those who have seen a loved one go out into eternity, that much loved face nigh hidden, 
from their view in the cold and dark grave, that soul needs grace to cry as their hearts are aching, their eyes are gushing tears. Thy will be done. A young woman by the name of Anne Steele encountered one disappointment after another. Being a child of God, very sincere Christian, she always tried to lift up a song of praise in the middle of her tears. But finally, the acid test came. She was engaged to be married. She was, as you do, looking forward to the future with eagerness, and all the preparations were being made, falling into place for the big day, and she's so full of joy and happy anticipation. The day arrived, so did the guests. But the wedding was put on hold because the groom was missing. After waiting for about an hour, the tragic news came through that the young man she was to have married that day had drowned. Her mind almost broke at the shock. But after some time, regaining her spiritual composure, she penned to him that some hymn books still have. Father, what heir of earth's bliss thy sovereign will denies? Accepted at thy throne of grace, let this petition rise. Give me a calm, a thankful heart, from every murmur free, the blessings of thy grace impart, and make me live to thee. Some of you may have had the bitter experience of that. You know how hard it is. You find it difficult to say with Job, no matter what preacher at the grave might announce it, you've had it difficult to say the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's often out of a broken heart that this solving prayer ascends, Thy will be done. But let's remind ourselves of two considerations that should help us in surrendering our will to the Lord's will. And the first is, the will that we are asked to adopt is the will of our Father. Thy will be done. Whose will? The will of our Father. Remember, we're asked here, we're not asked to bow down under the whip of a despot or a tyrant or some Egyptian-style slave driver. We are required to do the will of our Father, the one who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for our salvation. Was it not this consideration? that prompted Jesus, our Lord, to say in the garden, as the burden of the cross and the tomb weighed heavily upon Him, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. The thought that the Father was bidding Him to drink that bitter cup, steadied His resolve, gave Him comfort, and gave Him courage. Charles Haddon Spurgeon told the story of a man who had a weathercock in his garden, and there was an inscription on the weathercock, God is love. A friend saw it and thought he'd be in the mood for a bit of fun here and said, well, you know, 
weathercock, God's love inscribed on it? Is that meant to imply that God's love is as fickle as the wind? No, came the reply. I mean that from whatever quarter the wind might happen to blow, God is still love. We will be more disposed to obey the will of God when we remember it is the will of our Father. And then another consideration, the second one. The will of God is always designed for our highest good. Parents plan, scheme, strive, even contrive to secure a happy and a prosperous future for their children. And they're really keen that their children will do the best. God does this for us. He always has our good in mind. Romans 8 and verse 28. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who were the called according to His purpose, there's His will in it again. That is so pivotal. May we therefore be given grace, because we need it, to cry, Thy will be done in earth. So we've thought about the implication in this petition, the instruction in this petition. Finally, the imitation. The imitation in this petition. There are two layers of this imitation here. Thy will be done. To pray that is, first of all, to follow in the footsteps of our Savior and our Lord. And when we look at Him, we find that He is always, no matter what He confronts, He's praying that God's will shall be done. Some examples. Way back in prophecy, Psalm 40, the verse 6 to 8, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. You remember the time when the parents, earthly parents, lost him. Luke 2, 49, he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? In John 6, in verse 38, he said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John 4, and 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. That's what it's all about. My ministry, doing the Father's will. My life, that's what it's all about. Doing God's will, thy will be done in earth. But the imitation, there's a second layer. It doesn't end at that stage. Notice how our text says, thy will be done in earth as it is as it is in heaven. There's another part of the imitation required. Heaven supplies the template for what we do on earth. A Sunday school teacher talking to his class on the meaning of this third petition in the Lord's Prayer, he said to them, and he's trying to explain here, you've told me what is to be done, the will of God, where it is to be done, on earth, 
how it is to be done as it is done in heaven? Well, how do you think, he asked? How do you think the angels and happy spirits do the will of God in heaven as they are to be our pattern? How do they do it? Well, the first child said they do it immediately. Another one, they do it dil diligently. Another one, they do it always. Another one, they do it with all their hearts. And somebody else, they do it all together. And all of those are brilliant answers. And all true, of course. And then there's a pause, and nobody else seemed to have any other suggestion to add to the ones already given. And then a little girl, she expressed another thought. Why, sir? They do it without asking any questions. They do it without asking any questions. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. How is the will of God done there? Well, it's done cheerfully. Saints and angels find it their highest joy to do God's will. Now, if earth is going to be like heaven in this respect, then we must do the will of God cheerfully. We read in 1 Corinthians 9 and 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, let him so give, not grudgingly or of necessity for God, love with a cheerful giver. You've got it down at the back there on the money box. God does not want grudging service. It must be glad, it must be willing, it must be free. They do it cheerfully. They do it in heaven comprehensively because God's will is done there. Not a part of it, not a sliver of it, but it's done in its entirety. There's no holding back. There's no reining out, marking off areas and sectors where, oh, the man has a will here and his voice needs to be heard and man's will can reign supreme over here. Let God have that kind of a territory. It's all open to God. They're not doing His will selectively. They're doing it in its totality, cheerfully, comprehensively. In heaven, the will of God is done communally. It's done by everyone. There's no such a thing as a rebel in heaven. They're already out, fallen angels. The disobedient, the stubborn, the obstinate, the refractory, the rebellious, they are not there at all. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This petition focuses our attention on one of the urgent crying needs of our day, the necessity for obedience among God's people, for grace to put His will into practice. Heaven, we know, is promised to those who obey. We're told about that in Revelation 17, 14. Them who were called and chosen and faithful, they've been obedient right to the end. Matthew 7, 21, 1 John 2, 17 again. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The world passeth away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doing God's will is so vital. Are you, am I, doing the will of God? We have only one short life in which to do it. But a whole eternity to regret it if we don't. Bickerstaff had it right when he said, Peace, perfect peace, by thronging duties pressed, 
to do the will of Jesus. This is rest. To do the will of Jesus. This is rest. Let's bow in prayer.